Hey guys, this is episode 9 of Perspectives on Fire. My guest today is Mr. Dijani Hoods, who is an American Ethiopian citizen who currently owns a tour company to bring tourism into Ethiopia. Dijani, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice. And uh, this is like very like a special like episode because actually like we're in Ethiopia right now as well to which it's like it's different it's different last time I like I filmed in Israel than the last few episodes where it's in Australia so this is like definitely like something very special that's awesome <laughs> so how's your day been it's been great uh, showing you guys around uh, I love Ethiopia so anytime I make people happy it's pretty good <laughs> that's really good so tell the audience about who you are and how you got how you got to where you are today I um, adopted Ethiopian by an American doctor yeah. Um, I got my high school and college education in the U.S. And then, so I've always known that I wanted to live in Ethiopia. So I decided two years into my college education that I would come to Ethiopia and see what the opportunities there is for me to do uh, in order to go back to the U.S., learn more and come back and be f- living here full time. Um, after the end of the year, I decided that, you know, I don't really need to go back to the U.S. and that I can continue working and uh, living in Ethiopia, and it's been three years now. Three years now. So were you so you were originally born in America, or were you born here in Ethiopia? Born in Ethiopia, ado- uh, adopted by an American dad, so that's why I'm an American. That's very good. That's actually, like, really cool, like, because you're the first person from Ethiopia I've, like, interviewed as well, and it's <laughs> something you don't get in podcasts of, like, mainly because you usually have people, like, who are in, like, startups, entrepreneurs. That's, like, the main thing, as I've already done it. Okay. But now it's just, like, really hearing someone from Ethiopia. But, like, with Ethiopia, how is it, like, different from the Western world? Ethiopia is very different in the sense that it's so rich in culture um, that it just makes everything very different. Understanding-wise, when you're talking to people... Uh, depending on what tribe they're from, what area they're from, it just makes the whole conversation very different. Uh, and also working here is very chill. Uh, everything is relaxed. Uh, and there's a huge amount of opportunity <coughs> right now. Yep. Um, so all around, I mean, it's a great place to be for me right now, it's, especially as a starting entrepreneur, as you said, uh, with a few companies in line. So that's, that's pretty good. So as you're like an entrepreneur, like starting in Ethiopia, what are some of the companies you've um, you have started and like I'm operating at the moment? So right now I'm full time the tourism <coughs> company. Yep. I have a tourism uh, that's working full time, and then I have a new art company, uh, buying and selling Ethiopian art, uh, which it's it has launched, but it's based in the U.S. So it's me and my brother own it, and we're buying and selling Ethiopian art from here. So that's pretty cool. And then I also do like business to business networking, which has also been very interesting so so tell me more about so like with the business to business networking like how does that like work so th- those in Ethiopia there's a lot of companies that have huge potential to grow uh, or to export or to mainly do a lot of things better uh, a lot of things <coughs> better but they don't have the experience or the capital or they don't have the access to somebody that's buying it or selling it abroad so what I do is once I find a company that I like in Ethiopia, then I uh, go online and call people and look for a market for them to pretty much market them in different areas, whatever they're, they're doing. Nice. 
So what are some of the businesses that you've um, helped in Ethiopia, like fine markets? Coffee companies. A lot of, uh, I've dealt with about five different <coughs> coffee companies, uh, mainly the getting them a business from Israel and the U.S. U.S., okay. So it's like coffee manufacturing, like they um, trade the coffee beans and they export it. Yeah, so these are companies in Ethiopia that have like huge land uh, and have really good coffee, but, uh, you know, one could fulfill more orders. So what I do is I go out there and find them more orders or companies to partner with. Partner with, okay. So then like you, then you go to the U.S. and like the U.K., let's just say, and then you like look for these companies, pitch them, and then like these Ethiopian businesses... Yeah, so I do like my due diligence in Ethiopia, how much space they have, how much capacity, and all that kind of stuff. And I send it to the companies that I think uh, would be <coughs> useful in this sense. Uh, and then usually most of them reply by saying either we're, you know, we have partners in Ethiopia or, or we're going to look into it or, you know, oh, we've been looking for something. So which is uh, a lot of the companies have been saying, oh, we're, we're looking for something new right now. So people are usually very happy to hear that. So, like, with um, the opportunities in Ethiopia, so is it just mainly, like, in agricultural stuff? Agriculture is a very, very big part of the... Um, Ethiopia right now is actually in the growth and development plan. So it's on, like, phase two right now. It's, like, a 20-year uh, plan of 10 years and 10 years. Uh, and within that, they put a huge emphasis on agriculture because... Ethiopia has an amazing amount of land and fertile land too. So pretty much developing that is a key to the success as well. So like where did like Ethiopia look like when it was like 10 years ago? Like if you remember that? Uh, well, not really. I remember it, but it was, I lived in the city, so I don't really see the countryside as much. Okay. Uh, Ethiopia is 85% uh, farmers. And 10 years ago, everything was small, very small farmers. Uh, pretty much we actually didn't have enough food, so they needed to bring in food, uh, import food. So right now they're kind of trying to change that to being able to export uh, food, uh, which, you know, grains and stuff like that, which is a bit, very big deal. Right. So, see, like, because I can also mention earlier with me, like, throughout our conversation that we've, um, of Ethiopian lands, like your diet's a lot healthier than like Western societies yes. as well. But along with that, like say someone from Western society that has never been to Ethiopia, they'll have like a bias opinion of like, or maybe or, like say like the food is like not, not as healthy. It's not as like hygienic and stuff. So is it like really with the food here, like what makes it, is it like what makes it like healthier, like your diet's healthier than people in Western countries, even though they have like far more developed? Um, one, from the very beginning, all the food is kind of organic. So there's no pesticide, there's no chemicals, there's no nothing. So whatever stuff that you're getting fresh it is pure. Um, and then on top of that, the way Ethiopians cook their food, uh, for example, injera, the bread that we use, is very healthy for you. Uh, even it's gluten-free, uh, there's no fat, it's a lot of like iron and all that stuff protein um, so it has to do with the combination of the way it's cooked and also the way it's prepared so like there's nothing bad in there uh, no chemicals and the way there's not a lot of frying and stuff like that um, so all together becomes like a very healthy meal um, 
And then on top of that, like, there's one thing. Ethiopians fast. Not fast, but like they eat vegan for about five months or so of the year uh, because of uh, religious reasons. So that makes it very healthy. It's they're vegan pretty much, so it makes it very healthy. As well, because even though you have the whole big vegan phenomenon on like social media, to which influences people in Western culture to be like very like health conscious vegan and stuff. But like I remember hearing a podcast of like a guy named Joe Salatin, who's like this big American farmer, and mentioned that the way food is being treated, like the carrot you get today in Western in society, is not the same one as like you'd get ten years ago. As like there's more like it's more like processed, more fertilizer, yeah. and you said earlier the fertilizer destroys land. Land also it just it's bad for the body, you know. I mean, there's a lot of chemicals that go into it. Um, the the fertilizer that they use in Ethiopia is organic, so it's not chemical. Yeah. In the U.S., there's also a lot of uh, hybrid breeding or something, you know, like gene. Uh, what do, what do I call that? Huh? They play with it to make it stronger against disease and this and that, so that which makes it, you know, changing it slowly and not really good for humans, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's like sometimes it's like because a lot of people don't really realize that. Yeah. At the same time of like the whole fertilizer thing, like you may get like you may think you're eating healthy, but you're not because of like so much because a lot of people don't realize how much shit that's put in to like these kind of foods. Also, fast food. I mean, like. Uh, in the U.S., for example, um, people eat a lot of fast food. When I was there, I, you know, I probably ate like two, three times a week, a minimum. So, and I was very conscious of that, so I went to the gym a lot. Here, I don't, um, I don't, I rarely go to the gym. Um, I have, I don't have any, you know, like physically, there's no change. Uh, when I go to the gym, it does not, you know, I mean, like in the U.S., you notice the difference just because of how much of the food that is processed and stuff like that. But here. Nothing really changes. That's something that like very surprised me because you think like you're the whole Western thing got it right, but then you guys actually have got it right. You guys actually closer. You actually are like eating a lot healthier food than people in the U.S. Yeah. But as well as that, like you says, you were earlier were you an entrepreneur. What got you into it? Uh, when I was in college, I had a, a job, um, part time job that kind of filled in all my empty hours within the week. Uh, I worked for a hedge fund. I was, the guy was very big investor in different things, uh, and he let me sit in his office, uh, kind of listen to his phone calls uh, and all that stuff. So I got, I got the hunger from him, like just watching him work in the way one. And it just felt good because he was dealing with like 20 different companies, you know, and the, you know, all of the power and all that stuff. So kind of got me into reading business books uh, and then saying, okay, maybe I should go to Ethiopia and look for opportunities there. Um, so that was my start. Because <laughs> we don't hear a lot, like, in Australia, like, or, like, in America, let's just say, like, you don't hear a lot about, like, Africa and the opportunities within because it's actually it's something that's very quiet. Like, the media hasn't really talked about that unless it's, like, CNN, like, African startup. But yeah. that's just pretty much... And then it's just you realize, like, holy shit, like, the opportunity here is, like, huge for someone in Ethiopia, but there's probably, like, not as many resources, it's my assumption, correct me if I'm wrong, there's not as many resources available for entrepreneurs to succeed in, like, yeah. African countries and in, like, Western countries. One of the biggest problems for entrepreneurs in Ethiopia is uh, finance, uh, access to capital. 
which is really doesn't exist as a startup. You have to be at a certain level and then have equity to get a loan from the government, really, from the banks. Uh, there is not like businesses out there to, you know, invest in companies and stuff like that. So that makes it very hard to have a startup. But as somebody coming from the Western world, uh, it makes it a really good place to start a startup because one, you can get access to capital there. Yeah. Uh, two, you have access to resources and information and technology there yep. that you can bring in. When, when you bring in, the government looks at that as adding value to the country. So it gives you a really good rate or um, loan. or So it works in my benefit to start something here uh, just because of the access to both, world, both worlds. Right. So is it like if they're safe, there's like funding that comes, say like, say like some VC firm in America decides to come to Ethiopia and actually start a fund for Ethiopian like start businesses, not just tech, but like, as you said, agricultural, yeah. would that like make a huge difference? It would. There's a, there's a company doing that right now. There's a company, uh, think, I believe it's an American couple here that have an angel investment firm uh, and they're just funding different companies and their companies are doing really well because one, they can get them access to the US and the rest of the world really yeah. um, and give them the capital needed and the training needed. So... It's, it would do a lot. I mean, it doesn't require a lot of money for them to come in just because the government is very restrict on, restrictive on that, just, uh, just to make sure that they don't you know, take over the Ethiopian economy, kind of hurt the small people. But if a small companies come in, it would, it would do amazing stuff. So is it just, it's just the government restrictions? Like, does government pay an impact into like, um, entrepreneurs in Ethiopia? Like a negative yeah, or positive? Yeah, they're, they're very supportive in a lot of different sense. Like uh, agriculture, for example, I was telling you earlier, yeah. like if you have like 30% uh, capital to start, you have a good idea for a farm. Yeah. If you have 30% of the capital, then the government will give you the loan. If you can bring in machinery, they will take that as collateral and give you more loan. So they're very supportive and they're really trying to push that. That's why they're giving up to like 70% loan on... Uh, agricultural stuff uh, but coming in from the US if a company is trying to come in from the US it's a, a different role because they can slowly take over the smaller companies in Ethiopia and at the end they, you know, they're the benefit it doesn't benefit Ethiopia uh, that's what the government is scared about like if they let in a, like a b small bank from the US come in it could destroy all the banks in Ethiopia just because of the capital and access and all that stuff so they want to build it up to the level that they can compete with Western companies and stuff like that, then they'll let them in. You know, that's what they. All right. So, what are some of the banks? So, with the banks, is it like um? So, with some of the banks, like what are some of the banks in Ethiopia like? What are they like? Yeah, like what are they like? What are some some of the names and like what are they like? Well, the the National Bank is the biggest bank, uh, that control. It's kind of like the Federal Reserve, uh, and then there's. Uh, the next good one, really, not, not good one, but like the bigger ones are like Zemen. Zemen is a private bank, uh, but they do like uh, higher, uh, wealthier accounts. So you need to have like a minimum of 25,000 per, which is a lot to have an account there. So they're trying to go for the higher end. And then there's others, like every region has their own. Oromia has one, Tigray has one, Nib. There's a lot of share banks. 
uh, people opening banks together. So there are probably like 15 different, 15 to 20 something banks in Ethiopia. And I feel like in Australia, we mainly have like the four like big banks, which is like Commonwealth, Westpac, and Australian New Zealand Bank, which is ANZ, and National Australian Bank, which is NAB. And mainly they're just the big four, and they have like um, and there's a law in place that they have to be like take a monopoly out of like the whole like banking industry in Australia. But still, you've got other smaller banks as well, such as Suncorp and a variety of others. To it, just still like has a share of it, but still not that whole monopoly kind of thing. So it's definitely seeing that perspective of like from Australia or like Ethiopia or even America. But the the national bank here yeah. kind of has a monopoly yeah. because all of the foreign currency has to go through them. Yeah. Uh, and on top of that, like they dictate um, how you allocate your money or like they dictate a lot of the rules that the banks right. have to follow. So they kind of have a monopoly, but they the rest have smaller shares that they can uh, roles that they can play. Right. But like off topic, like with banking, like just one more before one more question before we um go to the last two. So with tourism, so what are like the biggest issues for like for like people from different countries coming into visiting Ethiopia, as well as you're in tourism. Yeah. Biggest things are information. There's not as much information out there. Yeah. Um, other than that, getting around the country is very difficult. Uh, if you don't have a guide or if you don't have somebody to tell you where to go and how to buy tickets and all that stuff how to book the hotels uh, so that like infrastructure in the service sector is very low yep. transportation is very low which makes it very difficult for you to just come to Ethiopia and say okay I'm going to spend three weeks going to the north makes it very very difficult uh, to just do that or very expensive one or the other difficult or expensive because if you have a lot of money then you, you know you can solve your problems with money but uh, if you're like trying to backpack and stuff like that, then you face a lot of challenges. Yeah. So, like, because as you like, like you you hire tour guides and stuff, and they provide these services. Yes. <coughs> so, like, how many of these um tour guides do you have? Like, <coughs> so, like, what I mean, like, what stage are you at? Like, and, like, how many tour guides do you have with you? Like, working with you. Uh, well, number wise, uh, I mean, it doesn't really make any difference yeah. uh, because it, depending on where the person is going you need to be able to call somebody up and say hey I have somebody coming uh, on this day I want you to guide them for me so it's, it's more of like a network of like every you know, tour guys around the country and if that person can't do it they say okay there's one person I trust the most that guy will take over for me you know and you kind of keep on doing that uh, you don't necessarily work with one or two or three of them yeah. just because some places uh, they may have their own people or other places they may not be able to, to guide there. Yeah. There's a, each location that kind of has their own people, that association and stuff like that that you need to pay and then they hi, they kind of assign somebody to guide you around that area. Uh, like today we went to into the castle. Yeah. And I paid for a, you know, for a tour, like entrance fee. Yep. And then there's a guide association fee. So you pay that, and then they assign somebody to come with you. Uh, sometimes you can request the person, and if they're available, then you're lucky and you can take that person. So, like, also, like, this, um, because I'm with, um, the wages and stuff in Ethiopia, does, like, having, like, cheap labor, because, like, does that, like, 
play a huge benefit. Uh, cheap labor, like in tourism, the, the thing is everybody, uh, it's kind of like a chain. Yeah. So everybody's realized they're in chain and necessary for that chain. So the things are a little bit more expensive. Uh, renting a car is expensive. The guides are expensive. Uh, everything adding up, it becomes very expensive, which makes it very expensive for travelers. Yeah. And also why they don't come as often. Like a lot more people don't come. Um, for example, like Addis is said to be one of the most expensive cities in Africa for uh, travel and tour services. Really? So, yeah, so altogether, like, you know, hotel, tourism, uh, cars, and stuff like that becomes very expensive. Uh, yeah. So all those together kind of make it very difficult right. for travelers. <laughs> Fair enough. Because that's why I saw, like, with Artvark, like, the program, like, I'm on and you're taking, is that, like, when they offered Ethiopia, I was like, this is an opportunity to go to a country where it's actually going at you like on a full, like fully scheduled, organized yeah. tour, to which is something you won't, wouldn't be able to do if you went like another time. So it's just like that opportunity is like, I've got to take that because that's going to be the best time to do it. I'm very happy I am. And to wrap things up, if you had to recommend a book to read, if you had to recommend a book to a friend, what book would you, would you recommend and why? Uh, one of my, actually my very favorite books is uh, Biography of uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, written by Walter Isaacson Isaacs, I don't know if I'm saying his name right Walter Isaacson yeah that book it's amazing just because of one the way it's written you kind of get into the mind of uh, Benjamin Franklin I feel like and two the person he was you know from not having traditional schooling to be one of the best writers, one of the best businessmen, one of the best diplomats, uh, politician. It's just an amazing, amazing book like to go in, like, in one life cycle. So I think that would be the book I'd recommend somebody. Yeah. Was Benjamin Franklin, was he the guy that wrote The Intelligent Investor? Or? No, that's Benjamin Graham. Oh, Benjamin Graham. And Franklin was um he was a politician. Yeah, he's one of like the first politicians of the U.S. Uh, when they were writing the independence uh, constitution and stuff like that, uh, breaking away from uh, British colonization. Fair enough. So, if you had to make a phone call to your eighteen-year-old self, what advice would you give him? Why? I'd say read more. That's, that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned. <laughs> Uh, so far, I mean, I, I'm trying to read as much as possible just because of how much I've realized how much the more I read, the more I become useful and the more like my steps become more efficient, my thinking becomes more efficient. Uh, so yeah, reading more, I think is just crucial. More than school stuff, just read. Like with, um, reading when did you really get into it like was it like when you were like in your late 10s early 20s uh i read a lot when i was in barnes my freshman year of high school i was in uh barnesville ohio at a boarding school and there was we were like 45 minutes from anywhere so there was nothing around us to do or activity wise so i read a lot during that time uh and then the next step was when I was in Israel for the year I read a lot because either I was reading or hiking or uh, meeting people or something so it was 
very productive. Uh, and then since I've been in Ethiopia, I've been reading a lot more. Nice. Yeah. So just some bit off topic. Um, with um, with when you went on Art Park um, a few years ago in Israel, what did you do for your internship? Did you do startups, or were they offering them back then? No, they they were offering. I did uh, volunteering with the Sudanese community. So, I wanted to get an understanding of what the refugee situation was like in Ethiopia, uh, in Israel. Yeah. Which, you know, I thought the best way would be the Ethiopian already they're accepted. In a sense, the government accepts them, so that's yeah. one big step. But the Sudanese, the government doesn't accept them really. So I thought I'd get a good sense from them what the struggles and stuff like that were. So how come they didn't accept them? Uh, from they're coming in as a, uh, like runaway refugees. Uh, I mean, the Ethiopians are coming out like as Jews. Uh, the Sudanese and their Eritreans are not. They're a lot of people. I I got the sense that a lot of people think that they're invading their land or not invading them like by force, but like you know taking over slowly, kind of a negative feeling towards them. Right. So last question: How do you define success? Uh, it's a hard one. Hey? Yeah, it's a very hard one. I don't know how people. You know, um, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a longer answer. Sure. Then, most of my life, I've. Uh, it's kind of like a funny thing. Every year, it's kind of been like better in a sense, uh, without me knowing it. Yeah. Like a month or two makes a difference. So like. Every year, like, I was, uh, okay, so I went to boarding school. Freshman year was in Barnesville, Ohio. Very good school. I was very happy. Liked it. I went to visit a school in uh, North Carolina for my brother. Yeah. Another high school. Amazing school. And it was a Jewish boarding school. Better than most college campuses. I was like, oh, shit, I want to come here. So I asked my dad, he said, I can apply. So I applied. I literally, like, hand-wrote my application the, the day we visited. And... Sent it in, they accepted me. That was an amazing experience because of just the resource the school had. The guy who started gave like a hundred million dollar endowment to start the school. So they have a lot of money and they're really good, amazing teachers and all that. Uh, but then I wasn't feeling the students too much. Like I just, uh, I wasn't feeling the vibe. Yeah. So I went to Dallas. Yeah. Dallas is a, I've been there a lot. I feel very comfortable with the people. And there I learned a lot more of like social because the family that I was with very social like everybody in the community knows them they're very active uh, they're very big business people so like you, you know like every year it's kind of been like different but like there's a moment where I'm like I'm very agitated like I don't know I don't know, agitated I guess to say like I, need, I like I need to change this I need to move on I need to like my mind just goes crazy with that yeah. at that moment like you know you get the next step and you move you know you do it like you Coming to Ethiopia was very scary, yeah. like you know, uh, but my mind was so into like uh, really wanted to do it. So I was like, okay, I have to do it. Uh, now it's been three years, and I'm very happy. Uh, so I think that that's the way. Like you know, you do your steps, and at the end, uh, you want to be happy that you did them. So it's more about like being. It's more like appreciating the journey. And, like, looking back of, like, oh, like, I've done, I, I loved what I did. Yeah, being in tune with yourself would, I, I think, would make it ultimately come out in your best interest because you wanted to do it so bad you did it. You're not saying, oh, I wanted to do it so bad I didn't do it, you know, like, 
going to Israel was another thing, you know, like all my friends are like, why are you taking a year off and why don't you go to college? I mean, you're wasting a year. You know, and I saw a different opportunity. I wanted to get myself enriched with the religious side, you know, understanding religion and stuff because I really didn't know much. So, you know, kind of enriching yourself in different ways at the end, I hope. I'm still on the journey, so <laughs> we'll see. Fair enough. Hey, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this interview. And I'm looking forward to the next few days of our tour throughout Ethiopia. You'll get a... Lalibala is going to blow you away. Addis is a completely new city that's just growing rapidly. It's crazy. So I think you'll be really like Ethiopia. But you have to plan to come back in like five years. That's like key. Almost everybody that I've done tours with these days say I have to come back in five years. Just... Like Gondor right now, like you see this, right? All yeah. this is new, right. mostly new. This is this, like all, on this side is what the city used to be. Yeah. So you know, like how much is that's how much it's growing. So actually, so like five years from now, like it's it's gonna be even more like even more buildings, even more lights. Yeah, it'll be a lot wealthier, a lot uh, nicer, and also people will be in a much more comfortable position. Uh, a lot more sophisticated I, th- I think it'd be a pretty cool place very nice thank you so much thank you so much for listening hope you enjoyed the show and if you really liked the episode please share it with your friends take care be awesome have a good one